when the Prophet ﷺ returned from the battle of Ahzab, he said to the believers, Ibn Umar, he narrates and says, he said to us what? لا يصلين أحد العصر إلا في بني قريضة. Famous hadith. The Prophet ﷺ said, none of you should offer the asr prayer until you've reached Banu Quraydah. And then they went off because they had to, it's a long story as to the reasons as to why, but they put, the point was they were given the command, you have to go to a certain area, a certain city, and make sure you do not pray your Salat al-Asr until you get there. So the hadith continues, So the time for Asr came during when they were on the road and they were going to miss the Salat. So some of them said, now you, you see that this, this group is now starting to be divided. There's two halves. Some of them are saying what? We should not pray until we reach there. The others are saying what? They say, no, rather, we're going to pray. That, the, the idea of missing Salat al-Asr in its time, that wasn't the intention. The intention was to say what? Hurry up, go as fast as you can. It wasn't literally to miss the time of Asr. It was an expression implying what? Just get there as quickly as possible. So this issue of them disagreeing, you know, one half of them praying on the road, and the other half saying, no, no, we're going to miss the Salat al-Asr, get there in Maghrib time, and then pray Asr there. This disagreement was brought to the Prophet much later on. And then what did the Prophet say? That he did not reprimand either one of them. It's a very, very interesting hadith with lots of commentary about this. So today, what I'd like to talk about is the dichotomy, the difference, the contrast between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. It's a very, very important concept. The letter of the law is being represented by the Sahaba who thought that they were supposed to literally miss the time of Asr and pray it in Maghrib time because they had to arrive in the city first. Whereas the spirit of the law is being represented by the Sahaba who thought that they were supposed to get there as fast as possible, preferably before Asr is over, if that is possible. And if it is not, you're still supposed to pray on time. So both of these groups are being represented. One who is being very literalistic in its nature, and the others who are just trying to get the general point. And remarkably, neither group was reprimanded because they were both sincerely trying their best to comply with the instructions of the Prophet A modern-day example of this this conflict between literal versus conceptual in interpretation. One possible example that I think is quite interesting. The hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ tells us, كُلُّ شَيْءٍ لَيْسَ مِنْ ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ فَهُوَ لَهْوٌ أَوْ سَهْوٌ إِلَّا أَرْبَعَ خِصَالٍ Everything that doesn't include the remembrance of Allah is a distraction and forgetfulness except for four things. What are they? Number one, مَشْيُ الرَّجُلِ بَيْنَ الْغَرَضَيْنِ A man walking between two targets. What does that mean? They would train themselves by shooting their arrows towards one target. Then when they ran out of shots, you'd run over. You'd quickly jog over to the other side and then grab the arrows and then shoot them to the other target and you'd go back and forth. This was a training that you would physically be jogging and at the same time, you would be training at your shooting. Number two is what? وَتَأْدِيبُ فَرَسَهُ Training his horse. Number three, وَمُلَاعَبَتَهُ أَهْلَهُ That playing with one's Spouse, or playing with one's wife. And then number four was what? وَتَعَلِيمُهُ السِّبَاحَ Learning how to swim. SubhanAllah, is a very interesting hadith. The first point is talking about what? Archery and jogging. The second is equestrianism, the skill of horse riding. The third one is representing what? Most scholars will comment and say this is talking about being romantic. Why? Because the word mula'aba, to play, doesn't imply intimacy and then you know, quickly 
being intimate and then running away. No, it's implying what? Being sweet and playful, spending quality time with one's spouse in order to spark that romance and to keep the love alive. It's very, very important and critical for a marriage. And number four is swimming, which is obviously important if you want to survive if ever you go into water. Now, as for jogging and swimming and romance, these things I don't believe have changed at all. But when it comes to the other two, when it comes to archery and horseback riding, I want to ask everyone something to think about. Do we take this literally, the letter of the law, or the spirit of the law, conceptually speaking? The literal approach would be to say, and some Muslims do say this till this day, they say we should learn these two skills, just as they were described, because there's something unique about getting to know the horse. There's something unique about training at that skill of pull, pulling back and shooting archery. There are life lessons within it that are very powerful, and I respect that opinion. And then there are others who say, no, archery nowadays is replaced with firearms. This is the modern weapon of the day. And training horses is replaced with learning how to drive, whether it be an automatic or a manual, or a motorcycle for that matter. Learning how, and Tadib, you know, getting to know one's horse is similar to getting to know one's vehicle. Knowing how to check your engine, which many of us don't know how to do. Changing your tire, fixing your car, being familiar with your means of transportation. This is important. This is an important skill. So do we take it from the letter of the law or more the spirit of the law? Which one do you incline towards? Or is it possible that archery and training at, horse, uh, at, at equestrianism or horseback riding, etc., is this just representing warfare in general? Learning martial arts, learning combat, and so forth. Which one is right? Allah knows best. Allah knows best. Personally, I know that if somebody is breaking into my home, I don't want to reach for my bow and arrow. I would much rather reach for my Glock 19. That being said, though, what you can recognize most definitely is that each of these pastimes are very serious in nature. Each of them seem to be very serious in nature. Physical training, jogging and swimming, these are physically, physically demanding. And when it be the other three, they seem to be very much life or death situations. Life being spending time with the family, creating life, uh, versus vehicles and weapons can possibly cause injury or death. So they're very, very serious. And these activities, I think, put us as a Muslim community in a bit of a predicament. Because it seems that as Muslims, as parents, we want our kids to be mature. But at the same time, we don't want to encourage activities that demand maturity, even if these activities are prophetic prophetic instructions. Instead, what we unfortunately find is that parents pay large sums of money, invest in all the necessary equipment in order to train our youth who are spending, who are clocking in countless hours to become extremely proficient at video games, unfortunately. This seems to be what we're investing in, giving them countless hours, spending everything we can to give them all the right consoles and games and so on and so forth. And then we wonder, why are our kids so immature? I don't understand. What is the issue? Who should we blame? Well, we can't blame the neighbors because we live surrounded by people who we see them jogging all the time. Summer is coming. We're going to see people running and jogging all around us. Most of them know how to swim. And it's very unfortunate when you ask Muslims, how many of you know how to swim? You find that, subhanAllah, so many Muslims don't know. When, subhanAllah, we have prophetic instructions to do so, to learn this. This is part of our deen. They seem to be obsessed with firearms, with cars. They seem to be in interested in these topics. And so we can't blame the non-Muslims around us. In terms of romance, Allah Adam, I'll leave that up to you to decide <laughs> who's more romantic. I don't know. But my point is simply to say that to my knowledge,
There are no biblical instructions or encouragement to encourage swimming or jogging or even for the sake of being familiar with one's vehicle or even when it comes to firearms, they're supposed to turn the other cheek, as we know. They're supposed to be pacifists in that sense. Many of them take that interpretation. Meanwhile, Muslims have these instructions to learn these life-saving skills, but unfortunately, most of us don't take them seriously. Anyway, back to the main point. This is just one example, one hadith that can be debated about. The main point that I would like to focus on is what? The balance between the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. It's so crucial. It's such a crucial component in our deen that subhanAllah, we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala every single day, 17 times a day at a minimum, saying what? Oh Allah, guide me upon the straight path, the path of those who you have blessed, not going down. When you're going down a straight path, you could either veer off to the left or to the right. You're saying, oh Allah, I don't want to go to either extreme. I don't want to get veered off in either direction. I want to stay on the straight path, ya Allah. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses us after we make this dua, after we call upon Allah making dua that we do not fall into the same mistakes as the nations before us, Allah Ta'ala responds to this dua right after Surah Al-Fatiha with what? Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Ali Imran. Two surahs that go into great detail explaining exactly how these two nations prior to us have gone astray. Exactly what were their pitfalls, what were their mistakes, how they went wrong and how we can avoid those same mistakes. Maghdubi alayhim. Those who earned Allah's anger in many ways, one way is through excessive literalism. And adhalin, those who went astray, one way is through lawlessness. In this dua, we're asking for a balance between internal spirituality and external application of the law, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's law. We know that the Yahud, the Jews, they evoked Allah's anger by focusing too much on rigidly nitpicking the letter of the law while forgetting the spirit of the faith. And Allah Ta'ala describes their questioning of Musa alayhi salam when he told them to slaughter a cow. They were saying what? Call upon your Lord and ask for him to clarify what is this that we're supposed to do. Then when the clarification came, Call upon your Lord and ask that we need clarification. What color is it? And so on and so forth. They keep on asking more and more detail, more and more detail without being sincere. This is nitpicking the letter of the law. Uh, whereas we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we know that subhanAllah, interestingly enough, even in the gospel that is with us till today, we can't trust all of it. Obviously, we can't say that for sure. This is exactly what Isa alayhi salam said. But even in the gospel today, you find that Isa alayhi salam he gave a parable of these Pharisees, of these scholars from amongst the Jews, saying what? That they would stress the small things while missing the big point by saying what? In Matthew 23, 24, he says, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. It's an expression which means you squabble over details when you miss the big picture. SubhanAllah, it's a very interesting quote. But then, unfortunately, it seems while emphasizing spirituality, the Nasara, the Christians, went to the other extreme. The pendulum swung too far in the other direction. They went astray by restricting religion to spirituality only, rejecting divine law, and inventing their own ways to worship. As Allah Ta'ala says, But monasticism, which they innovated, we did not prescribe it for them, except that they did so seeking Allah's approval. They created new ways to worship Allah that Allah never sanctioned. They were sincerely trying to worship Allah well, but they had no rules. It was lawlessness. They were just doing whatever they felt. 
It's amazing, subhanAllah, that the word Torah is translated as law. And the word Injil is usually translated as what? The gospel, which means the good news. Because the law is something that is external and strict, whereas good news is something that makes you rejoice internally and makes you feel good. And the Muslim is always trying to what? Strike the balance between the two. The Muslim is always between these two extremes of stifling order and cataclysmic chaos. And you could see this played out on different levels, on the individual level, on the level of the household, on the level of politics, on different levels you can see this balance being played out. On the individual level, we as, a human, being, we as human beings, we have a head and a heart. We're supposed to balance between our sincerity and our emotionality, as well as our intellect. That's on the personal basis. In terms of a household, you'll often find that the parents are the balancing factors. Typically speaking, you'll find that the father in the household represents the disciplinary, whereas the mother represents mercy and forgiveness. This balance between masculine and feminine energy is what creates a healthy household. And in politics, you can look around the world and you'll always find that there are different pulls, different parties, whether they're described as conservative versus liberal, left versus right, blue versus red, whatever terms you want to use, it's that same concept of what? Legalism, being hyper-technical versus lawlessness. And without law, feelings take over because that's the only thing left with authority. Once you take away law, what do you have left? The only thing guiding you are your feelings. So what is the solution? What is the solution to all of this? Inshallah ta'ala, we'll talk about that in the second khutbah. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa Muhammad wa ala alayhi wa sallam Bismillah wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah. Can everybody please just move a little bit more forward so we can make some more space? If you can just scoot forward a little bit, that would be much appreciated. So what is the solution? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout the Qur'an refers to his revelation as what? Al-Kitab wal-Hikmah. Al-Kitab wal-Hikmah. The book and the wisdom. The word book representing what? The book is the law. You know, when they say, I threw the book at him, what does that mean? That means we applied the law to him, the technical letter of the law. The dictated commands and prohibitions from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's the letter of the law. Al-Hikmah. Al-Hikmah means the wisdom. The reason behind those laws that only become exposed through application. This, as you could say, is the spirit of the law, the concept behind it. What is what you're supposed to feel and what you're supposed to be thinking behind it. And the fact that, subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions how he blessed Isa alayhi salam by giving him both. Allah ta'ala says, and we'll say on Yawm al-Qiyamah, وَإِذَا عَلَّمْتُكَ الْكِتَابُ وَالْحِكْمَةُ وَالتَّوْرَةُ وَالْإِنْجِيلُ SubhanAllah, so beautifully put all together. So you see the exact balance. Allah says what? And remember, when I taught you the book and the wisdom, the Torah and the gospel, you can see how, subhanAllah, they are the balancing factors between one another. The way Allah Ta'ala words it. This implies what? That for us to be sincere worshippers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have to have that balance. We have to have the pinnacle of humility and the pinnacle of love. We have to be balanced as believers between hope and between fear. Humility without love makes you legalistic. Practicing a dry, technical religion due to a sense of being forced without being willing, without being loving in your ibadah. But on the flip side, love without humility makes you lawless. It makes your faith subject to the wind. Your feelings are in charge. You become chaotic. Every act of worship as the Muslim 
has to have both the internal and the external elements. Internal element of niyyah. You have to have sincere intent, as the Prophet tells us. In fact, this is the first hadith in Sahih Bukhari. All actions are by intentions. You have to check sincerely. Am I doing this for the right reasons? But that's, not, that's just one half of the equation. It's not just about how you feel. You also have to see the other balancing factor, which is what? The external element. The sunnah of the Prophet As the Prophet says, Man Whoever doesn't act that isn't upon our way, isn't upon my sunnah, then it is rejected. Brothers and sisters, I mention all of this. One of the main reasons is because Ramadan is coming up very soon. And during the month of Ramadan, we do all kinds of different ibadat, we do all kinds of different worship. We come, we pray more, we fast every single day, which is an incredible act of a great feat of the will and an incredible act of ibadah. We give, we increase in our, char- in our charity, we give so much more. So we, we're doing all of these good deeds. And so it's Im- important to ask yourself these two crucial questions throughout the month of Ramadan. Always keep this in your mind and always hold on as best as you can to asking yourself, number one, where is my heart? What is my intent? What am I doing this for? And number two, am I applying the sunnah of the Prophet correctly? Am I doing this according to the way, to the teachings of our Messenger For instance, are you coming to Tarawih because it's customary? Because it's a social event? Because everybody's going to be there? Because we're all going to see how we're dressed up that night? Do we come to Tarawih night after night because, you know, if I didn't, my friends would think less of me? Or are you doing so to sincerely worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Are you doing so because this is the, the month in which Allah ta'ala revealed this Qur'an? This is the time in which Allah Ta'ala sent revelation and you are grateful for Allah Ta'ala's blessing upon us. What about iftar? Countless of us were going to be hosting people. Are you doing this to show off to the community, to socialize, just to hang out, way to catch up? Or are you doing this because you know that every morsel of food you put in the mouth of the one who is fasting, inshallah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala loves this so much that you get the reward of the one who is fasting as well. Do you want to be honored by feeding the fasting person, the one who is restraining for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Remember the dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta sami'ul alim. After perhaps the greatest deed that we can imagine doing, Ibrahim alayhi salam, after building the Kaaba with his son Ismail alayhi salam, what did he do? He made the dua, Our Lord, accept us from us because you are the hearing, the all hearing, and the all knowing. Many of us, we pay attention to the first portion. He's making dua, Oh Allah, accept. But we don't pay attention to the second portion where he's mentioning that Allah is all-hearing and all-knowing. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala hears. He hears your du'as. He hears what you externally vocalize. But at the same time, he knows al-alim. He's all-knowing of what is in your heart, what you actually mean by it. This beautiful balance should teach us how our deeds are going to be accepted. Taqabbul, right? How we want Allah Ta'ala to accept from us. We want our deeds to be accepted as well. As well. Rabbana taqabbal minna. Oh Allah, accept from us. So we have to remember that Allah Ta'ala is seeing and hearing of what we do externally, but is knowledgeable and knowing exactly what we intend internally as well. So we ask Allah Ta'ala, Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan wa razuqna tiba'ah, wa arina al-baatila baatila wa razuqna ijtinaabah. O Allah, show us the truth as true and grant us the ability to follow it and show us falsehood as false and grant us the ability to avoid it. O Allah, make this Ramadan, a Ramadan where we fast and we pray and we give charity sincerely and in compliance 
with the sunnah of the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam.